Alright YouTube here is Ellie and her story. Please remember to help her paint a better picture of the incident to write it as a story and read it as she was having problems doing the audio starting from memory. She is well aware some won't believe her and that is fine she is afraid of being attacked which I assured her this community won't tolerate. Let's go. Hi. Um. My name is Ellie. I just want to thank Tom at Ghost the Hunt Back and the community for giving me a chance to be heard. I understand some, if not most, won't believe me and... To be honest, if someone told me this, I would be skeptical too. I, um... I wrote down everything beforehand just to compose my thoughts, so... If it sounds like I'm reading some sort of scary story, uh... I guess it's... Because I am. <sighs> Alright. All or nothing. Here we are. On the way to the big camping trip that we've all been looking forward to for months. Well... I say big. The school's only taken out two small groups to camp in the mountains on the outskirts of the city, just past the woodlands. Affectionately known as the Camel Mountains by all the locals because, in truth, there's only two of them. And I'm not entirely sure if they're big enough to qualify as mountains. Perhaps they're more like big hills. I don't know, what's the difference? Well, you get the picture anyway. So, the idea is one group camps on one mountain, another group on the other, and we can get together over the next few days to undertake some activities that the teachers and mountain people, as I've come to know them, I don't actually know what their job is, have planned for us. There's five students in each group, and then like two members of staff, a teacher and a mountain person. And we're both on separate minibuses that are going to take us to the car park at the foot of the mountains, when we'll then be going our separate ways. I'll tell you what I'm most excited for when it comes to this trip. Nighttime. No doubt, we're going to do the traditional gather around the campfire, tell scary stories to each other before we get off to bed in our tents. That's what I'm looking forward to. You can't beat it, am I right? I even brought a bag of marshmallows so we can toast them. Ellie? I turned to my friend Danielle, shaking my thoughts of the nights from my head. In a world of your own? She asks, smiling. I nod. Yeah. I laugh a little. Thinking about the marshmallows later. You didn't tell me you brought snacks! She reaches underneath my seat for my backpack, unzips it, and starts to rummage around inside. I didn't, I reply, letting her go through the bag to discover it all by herself anyway. Well, just those. What's going on? Our other friend, Isabel, poked her head through the gap in between mine and Danielle's seats. Ellie brought snacks and didn't say anything, she said, putting the backpack underneath the seats again. I roll my eyes. I brought... A bag of marshmallows in the highly likely event that we have a campfire. That's all. Oh, Isabel said, disappointed and disappearing from view for a moment. I brought more than that. Her voice came through the gap, quickly followed by her hands, which were holding two small bags of sweets. One for me and one for Danielle. Yes, thank you, Danielle excitedly exclaimed. We sat there in our trio, munching on our bag of sweets and talking about all the school drama and gossip we had which wasn't very much as of late. Just some girl drama, friends falling out and then making up, and, of course, all three of us had guys that we liked. The standard stuff, nothing fancy. In just over an hour, we'd reached the foot of the mountains, and seeing them up close for the first time in years made me reconsider my earlier thoughts. These were mountains, surely. They were huge, blocking out most of the sky. Thankfully, they looked easy enough to climb, 
They weren't very steep, and paths have been man-made for groups like ours to make their way up. Us five girls and our two members of staff, also female, made our way out of the minibus, gathering our belongings and forming into a semicircle, continuing to talk to each other. The other minibus also cleared itself of its passengers. The same amount of people as ours, but they were all male, and some of the boys did a sort of shimmy over to us and broke into the circle to start talking. One of the guys, Tom, was the guy I liked, because, of course, life is never simple and was always throwing in these little things like, yeah, you're going on this fun camping trip, but guess what? The guy you've been obsessing over for the past year is going to be right there with you. Fun, right? Well, no, not fun at all. I never considered myself a girly girl, and yet, when he was around, I, I could feel myself clam up and become awkward. As though all of my muscles had tightened, which restricted blood flow to my brain and made me instantly into some sort of dumb, almost mute person. Unable to speak coherently or even like a human being. I turn instantly to Danielle, trying to block out that he's there and start talking to her. She cocks her eyebrows at me because she knows, as does Isabel, and all I can think is, please, please, God, don't give me away. Just play along for God's sake. She does, thankfully. One of these days, though, the teasing is going to go too far and give me away. I can just feel it. And then what? Tom is always quite friendly with me, even though I do turn into a shell of myself when he's nearby. But if he knew the way I felt, would he still treat me the same after that? Would he even talk to me anymore? Right then, our teacher, Miss Henderson, said, approaching the circle, Boys, if you could make your way back to your group, please? And try not to be too upset. You will get to see the girls again quite a few times over the next few days. The boys all turned around as though scolded dogs with their tails between their legs and slowly retreated back to their minibus where their teacher was waiting. Mr. Bradley was a large man, both in height and width. He was the school sports teacher after all but he looked like he should be the star of an action film rather than a school teacher. The girls all idolized him, and the boys wanted to be him. In that way, he was a star, at least, if only a local one. Tom, though, didn't head back with the other boys. He lingered for a moment, and my gaze happened upon him. As soon as it did, I regretted it, and panicked, and wanted to look away. But he was looking at me too, so I, I couldn't. I looked for a moment, heart hammering in my chest, and then watched as though I was not occupying my own body as he smiled at me. Automatically, I smiled back, and then he turned around and went back to his group. Danielle nudged me, and I turned to her. Her eyebrows were cocked again, and Isabella was biting her lip in an, oh my god, did that just happen? sort of way. I rolled my eyes at both of them and looked away, but felt myself blushing slightly. With both groups separated again after a gathering that lasted mere minutes, both teachers give instructions to their groups and then hand over to the mountain people, who run through a few safety, uh, things, before going on to list the itinerary of the next couple of days. Right then, the mountain woman clapped her hands and turned to look at the two mountains that did look an awful lot like two gargantuan camel humps. It's time to ascend! With that, we all gather up our things and begin the trek up the mountain the boys doing the same up the other one, before our view of one another's group was obscured by the maze of trees that we disappeared into. No signal up here, Isabel said, pouting at her phone. We did say there would be no point in bringing your phone, girls, Miss Henderson said. Come on. She gestured towards the campfire that we had set up earlier in the afternoon, after going out to find twigs and other kindling for it. 
Let's forget the technology of the modern world and enjoy nature and real-life human interaction, she finished. My mom is going to be worried, Isabel huffed. Miss Henderson looked as though she was holding in a huff herself. All of your parents were informed about being out of range in the letters we sent out, she said before turning away so that Isabel couldn't retort. We were all sat cross-legged around the fire, and my bag of marshmallows was placed next to it so that everyone could help themselves. I leaned in close to Danielle and whispered, So, uh, if this is about your boyfriend again, I don't want to know, she said, but laughed a little after she'd said it. He's not my boyfriend! I said a little too loudly, causing everyone to turn and look. Not yet, Danielle whispered and nudged me. Miss Henderson brought us all to attention by clapping her hands together again. Right then, ladies, she said, rubbing her hands together and smiling. Story time, she announced, and a couple of us made ghostly sounds or uttered fake cries of terror. This was the real fun part of the day. So far, all we done was set up tents, which actually wasn't as easy as it sounds, but there we are. Gathered twigs to make a campfire, the mountain lady showing us how to light it without using a lighter or a match, and the mountain lady had also taken us through some things like tying rope and all the different knots you can make. Miss Henderson set us off by telling the classic urban legend story, the one about the hook on the car door handle, except she added in a plot twist by combining it with another common scary campfire story, that the hook man was also in the back seat. That one caught us all by surprise, as obvious as it should have been, and the tone was set. A couple of the other girls went next. One came up with an original ghost story set in a forest that was... okay. Whilst Isabel opted for the tried and tested, as Miss Henderson had, and told the aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights story? A short and snappy tale. Danielle volunteered next, and she cleared her throat dramatically and sat up straight. So, she began, after pausing for effect, there is something. She paused again, her head twisting as an owl's would, looking behind her in the trees. Oh, a live action performance, Isabel mocked and laughed as everyone else did, but Danielle was still looking around, squinting and trying to see inside the trees that surrounded our clearing, where we had spent the afternoon setting the tents and the campfire up. Danielle? I tried. And then Miss Henderson also seemed to notice something was wrong turning to the mountain lady, who shrugged and said that there wasn't much wildlife inside the trees outside of birds and deer. Nothing life-threatening, for sure. Studies have been carried out time after time, covering both mountains in their entirety. She was dead certain, she said, although after the third time of saying so, it was as though she was trying to convince herself. Finally, Danielle turned to look back at us. Did none of you hear that? She asked, and as though in answer to her question, the momentary silence was upended when Miss Henderson uttered a shrill cry. She was levitating. All of us watched in horror, a couple of girls making their way onto their feet, and all of us backing off, shuffling along the hard ground from a seated position. Very quickly, my eyes adjusted, and the small fire helped a little, because now Miss Henderson was moving forwards, and she wasn't levitating. The thing that had hoisted her up was illuminated by the orange flames of the fire. The beastly humanoid had to be at least seven feet tall, probably even more than that. It was bulky and covered in thick, long black hair. Its face was lumpy, a sort of snout, two shiny black eyes, and a mouth that parted to reveal teeth as big and sharp as kitchen knives. The meaty paw that held onto Miss Henderson covered her entire abdomen, only her head and legs were visible. She continued to scream and squirm when the ape-like monstrosity put her head into its mouth and bit it off, as though eating a chicken drumstick. 
Everyone screamed, and the mountain woman, whose name I hadn't bothered to remember, cried for all of us to run, before the behemoth swatted her aside. It looked effortless, but she flew far, all the way into the trees, and there was a grisly splat that emphasized her landing. By the time I looked back to the campsite, after trying to track where the mountain woman had landed, the beast had already flattened or tore apart two of the other girls, and was now feasting on the remains. I felt myself being tugged, and before I knew it, I was inside the trees, under the cover of darkness, with Danielle and Isabel. What the hell was that? But I heard my own voice, as though it was far away, as though someone else, and not me, had spoken. We all listened and heard the monster, the Bigfoot, my mind told me, skulking around, sniffing and breathing heavy, each grunt coming out as a guttural growl. It was a long time before any of us moved and much longer before any one of us spoke again. When we were far enough into the trees and looking to begin our descent down the side of the mountain we had only a few hours ago climbed up, I was the first to finally speak and said, We need to get the boys. I was thinking that surely Mr. Bradley could help us, just like in those action movies that he should be starring in. He'd battle the beast, come out on top, and get us all out of here. More than anything, though, I felt myself wondering if I was ever going to see Tom again and that I had to know if he felt what I felt if we were all going to die up here on these hump-like mountains. I think we should go back, Isabel said, shaking her head. I need my phone. There's no signal out here, Danielle retorted. Well, I still think camp would be the safest place. God knows where we are out here, or even what is out here for that matter. We just need to find the path, I said looking at the floor and hoping that we were going to step out of the trees and onto a clear path at any moment. And we know what's out here, Danielle added quietly. Don't know where, then, Isabel muttered. But she wasn't done unpacking the events of the campsite massacre, because she asked us, What was that thing? This was a question I'd asked myself many minutes ago, and had received no response. But it was just as well. That was about the only thing I could have said at the time. I doubt I would have registered anyone's response, but... Apparently, the other girls were in an even worse state than me, unable to even offer any sort of answer. A Bigfoot, I said simply. The other two girls stopped walking, so I stopped with them. What? Isabel asked, but then continued. There's no such thing. Don't be so... A Bigfoot, I said. Of course there are such things. All these sightings and stories over the years just for something not to be true? They're animals, sure, not mythical beings, evolved apes or whatever, and that makes them clever and dangerous. They hide themselves well, and for that one to attack us the way it did, it must be desperate. Hungry. Isabel and Danielle shared a look before turning their gaze to me. Since when have you been an expert on urban legends? Story time ended when... Danielle trailed off. It's not an urban legend! I said a little too loudly, and we all looked around, silent for a few moments, before looking back to each other, when we were satisfied that it was safe and that nothing had hurt us. When I spoke again, my voice returned to a whisper. These animals exist. They are real. I'm telling you. Okay, then, Danielle replied. Who made you such a weirdo wildlife expert? Of course I read up on this stuff, I say as though it's obvious. You guys know how excited I was for this trip. I love that sort of stuff. Both of them shared a look again, and when they looked back to me, Isabel sighed. Although it appeared it was more to expel the tension that she had set into her body than out of any sort of annoyance. Fine, she said, nodding her head. 
and you can lead us out of this, right? I stared at her, and my mind started to register just how unreal all of this was, how much like a dream it felt. I don't know why it seemed to be taking so long for me, for all three of us, to process what was happening, but no doubt part of it was just how suddenly everything had happened. One moment we thought Danielle was telling a scary story, and the next, four of our group were dead, horrifically mutilated by a beastly monster, one that was hungry and more than happy to satiate its desire by feasting on human flesh. I shuddered. Danielle. I tried and had to clear my throat before I could speak again. When you were supposed to be telling your story, and instead you said you could hear something, or you asked us if we could hear something, what was it that caught your attention? Danielle considered this for a moment, and then looked at the floor, her eyes wide and far away, unseeing. They were reliving the horrors of what had happened at the campsite. It was just footsteps, she said. But then there was a breathing as well, like it was right behind me. And then it started to move, like something was moving quickly through the trees, circling us, and the next thing I knew, Miss Henderson, as though triggered into life again by what she was saying, there was a sudden snapping of a twig somewhere in the distance, followed by a few grunts, as though something, and we all knew what something, was trying to sniff us out. We all looked at each other, and then all around us as though frantically trying to search for the answer of what we should do now. I grabbed Danielle and pulled her close to me, taking the lead just as Isabel said I should. I pointed to the floor, which held dead leaves, twigs, and small pebbles and stones among other things, and then I rubbed my two hands together, and Danielle seemed to catch on pretty quickly. Next, I turned to Isabel, who I'd noticed was still wearing her backpack. This was nothing out of the ordinary, though. She always had it on, and often with nothing inside. And on this occasion, I was certain there would definitely be nothing inside, because we'd all unpacked earlier that day. I asked her what was inside it anyway, by pointing to it and motioning for her to open it. She shrugged it off her back and brought it around her front slowly, unzipping it as quietly as she could. I looked at the contents and she shrugged as though to say, Sorry, I didn't bring anything useful. But she had brought something useful. Isabel probably thought I was hoping she'd have a weapon in her bag, but I wasn't, because what sort of weapon would even have an effect on an animal like the one we were facing? Isabel had in her bag the length of rope that she had been given earlier when they were all learning how to tie different knots. Most people had simply thrown theirs inside their tents or discarded them somewhere around the campsite, but good old Isabel had put it inside her backpack. Now I had something I could work with. I didn't think there was any way we could kill or even stop this monster, but we could at least slow it down, perhaps throw it off our scent. While Danielle set to work on finding two twigs to set alight, I moved over to two large trees with Isabel, making her take the rope out of her bag. The two large trees were about five meters apart. They were like an entryway themselves, and I guessed that these were old, whereas the rest of the trees were planted or something. But why would that be necessary? It was like the woodland, the mountain had needed to go through a regeneration for some reason. I decided not to worry about it too much right there and then, and I stretched the length of rope to one tree, while Isabel stretched to the other, after I directed her to it by pointing. I started to run the rope around my tree. The rope was thin, but it was long, so there was enough length for me to wrap it around the tree one whole time before I started to tie it, and at the same time, Isabel was watching and copying me. I held up a hand just before she tightened her knot, and kept my own loose. I motioned for us to lower the rope. Just as we started doing this, we froze because those footsteps were back, and they were very, 
very close. And this time, it wasn't just the footsteps. It was the breathing. The guttural grunting. The growl. Because it was close now. Somewhere inside the shadows, immediately around them. The darkness itself allowed this beast to camouflage itself. From the quick glance I'd caught of it, its fur was completely black and thick so that no skin was visible. Which meant that the darkness was its friend. The only hope we'd have of seeing it, although no doubt we'd hear it first, would be if its mouth was open, and the little moon and starlight that there was, was revealing the knife-like, razor-shiny teeth that were contained within. I felt Isabel shaking from the way the rope was vibrating on my end, and going up and down like small waves in the middle. We left the rope about a foot off the ground, and then I gave the nod for us to tie. I managed to tie my end in the strongest knot that the mountain lady had shown us earlier. It was complex, but my fingers worked fast. And besides, I'd read about it anyway, in all of the geographical magazines I'd collected. It was true. I'd never told Isabel or Danielle about my obsession with the natural world. I don't know why. I guess I felt like they'd judge me. But it certainly has built me up to be in a position to deal with the monstrosity that the natural world has spat out at us right now. By the time I'd finished, the beast stomping was now in close proximity and I estimated it would probably be a minute or likely even less before he was upon us. No doubt his nose worked quickly, even if his eyes didn't. Isabel was still fumbling with her end of the rope, so I scuttled over to her and finished it off for her, again using the strong knot that had been demonstrated for us earlier in the day. Isabel retreated further back to Danielle, and when I turned to look at them both, I was impressed by what I saw. Danielle had been working hard on her own task while me and Isabel tied the rope around the tree trunks and somehow managed to light three huge thick branches. Danielle was holding two, and Isabel was holding another that looked like it had just been freshly lighted, probably using one of the flames from Danielle's torches. Going towards them, Danielle handed me one and whispered, What do we do now, Ellie? I looked at her for a moment, feeling the presence of the beast as it stopped walking, its eyes no doubt on us. In fact, I just knew its eyes were on us. You know that feeling you get when you know someone is staring deep into you? as though they have a laser vision and you can just feel their intense gaze penetrating your skin. Just follow my lead, I stated, my voice at a normal conversational tone, because there was no point in trying to hide ourselves anymore. I turned around, strangely confident, although I could feel the hesitation, how the downright sheer terror coming from my friend behind me, and saw the humongous figure skulking towards us, perfectly positioned in between those two trees that had the rope tied around them. I went forwards, almost right up to the rope, holding the flaming torch aloft above my head. Come on! I cried, and saw the monster cock its head. It was so tall, taller than I'd remembered, even though that had only been surely less than an hour ago, and I started to think that we'd made a terrible, fatal mistake. Nothing was going to stop this animal. Not flaming torches, not some stupid rope wrapped around some trees, nothing. It started to come forwards, and I felt Isabel and Danielle join me despite their fear. The combined light of our torches illuminated the killer creature once more, and upon closer inspection, I saw that I actually could see beneath its fur as it blew slightly in the wind. However, it looked more like armor. Shiny, black, thick, padded, heavy. Even bullets wouldn't stop this gargantuan monster. God knows what it would take. But I'd expected this anyway. All we had to do was divert it for long enough to try and get away. The monster was close now, and so just to test its reaction, I waved my flaming torch, and it hesitated slightly, one of its feet retreating and stepping backwards. I stepped back now that I knew what I needed, and the monster resumed its advance. Come on, I whispered. 
The beast uttered a growl that seemed to shake the very earth itself, and just before it turned into a roar, the animal was suddenly falling, its feet scrambling to find balance and failing. The crash that followed did shake the earth, as though an earthquake had hit the mountains. The beast cried out a howl of pain and scrambled to get to its feet, but the rope had twisted itself around one of the monster's feet, and one of the old trees seemed to be arching itself as though ready to collapse. Quickly, I shouted, running around the monster, which was struggling to climb to its feet, giving it a wide berth. Standing beneath one of the old trees, I held my flaming torch underneath one of its branches, setting it on fire, and then did the same with a few others as Danielle and Isabel followed my lead, working on the other old trees as well as many of the others surrounding us. Keep your torches, I shouted over the crackling of the flames and the desperate whines of the monster. Let's go, now. We ran around the beast again, which clutched the rope around its foot in one of its mighty paws and started to tug. It didn't realize that it was pulling the tree it was attached to down, and it was going to land on top of him, flames and all. As much as I wanted to stay and watch, I couldn't. We had to get away. The last thing I saw was the monster, encircled by flames and about to be crushed as a result of its own foolish actions, stemming from a simple, animalistic mind. The three of us fled, quickly at first and eventually slowing down. The woodland continued to flame behind us as we made our descent down the mountain. The smoke was thick in the air and the crackling sound followed us all the way down. It wasn't long before helicopters came and police sirens rang out. When we got to the bottom of the mountain, to the car park, there were already police waiting for us asking to know what happened. We told them, in a jumbled and panicked way, and they shared looks before making a few phone calls. Sat in the back seat of one of their cars with the doors open, the sun rising in the distance, I told one of them that there was also a boys' camp up on the other mountain. I found it strange they hadn't come down too after having seen the flames. He thanked me and passed the message on in another hushed phone call. The flames were soon put out by red helicopters that carried water cannons, and shortly after that, black cars started to arrive. Men in black suits exited and, without talking to anyone, made their way up the mountains in two groups. Just under an hour later, the group that had gone up on the left side, where our girls' camp had been staying, came down carrying something enormous wrapped in a white sheet. I breathed a sigh of relief, knowing that it was dead, but felt the same terror I had in the night at seeing its massive size again. Even in the sheet, and even lying down very much dead, the beast dwarfed these men that were carrying it. They put it into the back of a large black van and swiftly drove off with it. I wonder what the newspaper is going to say tomorrow, I thought to myself. It certainly won't be telling the whole story. Probably won't give any sort of detail as to what happened. That's if these black-suited men get their way. I know who they are. I read enough stuff online. Government officials. Secret ones. The same ones who cover up all the Area 51 stuff. It was another hour later, and by this point, ambulances had arrived and were checking the three of us over, before the black suits came down from the mountain on the right. I had expected them to be followed by the male group who had come camping with us, but instead, they'd come down with something else. More white sheets. Bloodstained. It was a long time before I stopped screaming. So that's my story. I'm not going to read the comments, but thank you to anyone who's listened this far. And please, stay safe out there. Do you have a video or story that you would like to have posted? Email me. If you have a story and are able to record audio that would be preferred but not a must, 
I used the robot voice because my speech was nuked by multiple strokes in 2019. I look forward to hearing from you.